I would love to live in Berlin just because <laughs> I studied there over the summer. And there's like this huge history of like a lot of like radical history there mm-hmm. um, from like resistant fascism during like the, you know a hundred years ago. But also during the eighties and nineties, like a lot of activists from the states and from the UK would take refuge in Berlin. Oh. Um, and so when I was there, I kind of just stumbled across a coffee shop that was a dedication to Angela Davis because she did her master's yeah. there, and she would like take refuge in that um, in that shop, and like it had all for like work so and stuff. And then I started looking into it. I was like, oh yeah, there's like a lot of like. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Namaste Podcast, a podcast where I interview black and brown queer people about their self-care. I am the creator and host. My name is Kolea, and my pronouns are they, them, there. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Louisa. I also go by Lou. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, that's it. And then we'll, that's it. Okay. <laughs> and this episode is um, self care as an immigrant. Um, so thank you so much, uh, Lou, for being on this episode. Um, I <laughs> we decide we already picked out this is different because normally I make shit up completely on the fly, but you really wanted to do this one. <laughs> so we're gonna do it. And I'm actually very excited about your answer, Lou. If you were a potato. Um, um, what kind of potato would you be? Oh my god. Okay, first of all, potatoes are the shit. Obviously. Potatoes. Yes. Potatoes are an old world food, so they're native to South America. Oh, they're, okay. They were found during colonization and then brought back to the Europe, but they've been around um, the Americas, specifically South America, for like thousands of years. Wow. So in South America, you know so much variety. stuff. <laughs> I know so much about potatoes. You do? (laughs) I was like, I did not know you were going to go that deep, and I'm fascinated. Okay, yes, I'm listening. But but in South America, there's like all these variations of potatoes, and you really can't find in other places. And then within that, in Colombia, there's this soft little yellow potato called like a Creole potato, Mm -hmm. almost. And it's almost like, you know, like the small tomatoes, but it's a potato instead, and it's soft and yellow. Um, I love that. Okay. I love, like, if I were to be a potato, I'd be that potato. <laughs> and it's called and, a creo? Yeah, okay. like, um, papa creolla. Yeah, yeah okay. it's delicious. There's a couple of Colombian dishes with it. And you can make a Peruvian dish, which is, like, basically mashed potatoes mm-hmm. layered on top of each other. Oh. You can do, like, a veggie version, like a meat, for, a chicken or tuna version. Okay. Um, um, and you could do a Peruvian dish with that potato, and it is delicious it is the bomb okay and it's and when you cook it it's very soft too so it's not like when you um when it's cooked well it's not hard to bite into uh-huh. um and it kind of just like melts in your mouth when oh my you, god when you yeah is, is that something that you can or at least have been able to find here in the u.s no Damn. yeah not that i um i think there's like a couple versions in some of the international stores mm-hmm. but they're frozen oh. i think they're imported or like they I don't know where they get them from, but because they're frozen, they're not as as good. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like 
different varieties, right? So right. there might be like a close cousin that you can find, but it's not like the type that I, that I grew up eating in Colombia now. That is fascinating. And I didn't know that potatoes didn't exist in Europe. Yeah, so before, um, what's it called? What's it called? You know, what, what's the white people term for colonization? Oh, I, um, mm, settling? Set, settlers? What What do they call it? Exploring? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't oh, remember. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what the white people term is for it, but before Europeans arrived, I guess in the 1500s, 1400s, Potatoes were not a thing in Europe. Oh. They did not exist. Wow. It's so weird, right? Cause yeah. Because like, there was like, what, we, the Irish potato famine. Right. And part of that reason, part of the reason Europeans loved it is because in South America, potatoes were able to grow in any condition. Mm-hmm. Like, they grow in cold, they grow in warm, yeah. they grow in high elevation, they grow in low, low elevation. Okay. And Versatile baddies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are a resistant food. And so in places like Ireland and mm-hmm. places that are in Eastern Europe that don't have, can have a hard time growing food, mm-hmm. it's like one of the few things that can survive wow. a lot of stuff. So with the, in the Irish famine, a lot of that was not so much like the soil dying, but it was, that's like a whole nother thing, but it was a systemic thing, right? It was mm-hmm. like completely targeted poor people and it targeted the crops of poor people because the, the crops of rich people and rich British landowners in Ireland still could grow potatoes. It oh, was just, really? Yeah. So it wasn't even a famine. It was literally like, we're trying to get rid of you. Yes, exactly. God damn. A big part of it. Yeah. So, so like, and it's, that, that's, that's part of the reason I love it so much because like the potato is really also people's food. It's like yeah. a resistant food. It's a revolutionary food. And wherever you have it, you're going to have a good, like, I don't want to say like the people or like. I thought you were going to say a good time. <laughs> Yeah, wherever you have a potato you're gonna have a good time yeah no you're gonna have a great time you can have like fries or like if you're in the south american south you can have uh, hash browns if you're wait are hash browns not like a are hash browns a regional thing um i've always thought them regional to the south because there's like the old school southern hash browns what are those that are direct yeah that there are derived from the european dishes but Mm. And in my opinion, the best hash browns are in the South. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm, I haven't been to a whole bunch of places in the U.S., but the South really has, like, uh, has a lead, has a presence of American okay. food. Because if you look at, like, Midwestern food, what are they even doing? Like, <laughs> what convoluted combination casseroles are they doing it's weird it's confusing (laughs) yeah it's weird and it's yeah and a lot of it just goes back to like the history of how those regions develop yeah um but the south it's also like it has the most the the south has like the most fusion of other foods as well Mm. so like in new york a lot of new york food is like derived from italian cuisinery from a lot of puritan foods as well but in the South, you get a lot of mix of, like, the Italian stuff, too, but a lot of, like, stuff from South America, a lot of Asian, like, it's just, you see a lot of food that wouldn't come from anywhere else, yeah. you know, like. Yeah, I, I, 
know that like I'm a vegetarian, but I am also very Southern and I still like fucking love like Southern food. And my family is like, is, is from the South. And so it's yeah. like the food that I grew up eating. I'm like, like can't, you can't hold a flame like to that shit. Like, right, it's right, so good. Yeah. And so it's, I'm always just like, yeah, like it's it, the food, food, hurrah, hurrah. But yeah, the potato thing is really fascinating to me just because well, I, I guess I didn't, I remember hearing, and of course, this is how, historically, this is how his history has been told, but it's never told, like, through the lens of this was systemically done to someone or someone's. It's always like, this happened, right? Right. So, right. like, it's like, um, <laughs> the only reason why I know this is because, like, I took Spanish, and so they were talking about the different tenses, but it's, like, almost like a reflexive tense, right? Right. So you um, you didn't drop this. It fell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that, I think I hate that tense, quote-unquote, just because it's, like, someone was responsible for this, right? Mm -hmm. The world wasn't colonized. Someone colonized the world, right? Exactly. And yeah. I just, I think it's fascinating. So I'm, I, I didn't know that um, Irish people um, do not fuck with British people um, until Queen Elizabeth oh, yeah. died. Queen Elizabeth II died. And there's like this thing on Twitter called Black Twitter. And so Black Twitter, yeah. listen, if there's Black one Twitter, thing Black Twitter is going to do, yeah. it's going to like make a joke about something. That's what Black Twitter is one of my favorite things about, like, just Twitter. It's one of the reasons one of the reasons why I love Twitter more than, honestly, I love Instagram. Because it's just yeah. fucking funny. Um, just no, I agree. endless days 100%. of jokes. But Irish Twitter? <laughs> oh, my God. Their reaction to the queen dying? I was like, wait a minute. What's happening here? What's the <laughs> drama? Like, because... Fucking know. Literally. Literally. <laughs> like, what is the tea? Yes, what is the tea? Because I saw this one uh, video. I guess they were at like a, a soccer or football, um, football game. And they were yelling, Lizzie's in a box. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, y'all really did not fuck with that bitch. Like, what? <laughs> like, the entire stadium is yelling this. So it was very interesting. Um, and hearing what you said about, you know, the potatoes and about um, essentially rich people and British people just being their fucking British, British people. people just being themselves yeah. the fucking worst. Um, it, you well, know, adds some more context to that. Yeah. I mean, we, we were talking before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, Detroit and mm -hmm. connections to Berlin and stuff. But part of like the way I think about the the. Uh, famine in Ireland is similar to what happened in, in Flint, Michigan, with mm -hmm. their water supply, oh, right? Yeah. Like, okay. like, like you were saying before, I was like, oh, this happened, right? You know, this water was poisoned. I was like, no, this water, this could have been prevented, right? This was like also an institutional thing. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not something that just happened to these citizens. Yeah, this is something that like, you know, severely affected and killed people and yeah. continues to do so to this day. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't that, like, it just happened. It was like, no. Exactly. And, it, and it was and it was very intentional. It was like, same thing with the famine. Like, it just, it didn't just happen. Right. It was also, there were so many actors in making sure that 
rich people were able to survive, but poor people weren't. Yeah. That's so, that's very fascinating. Wow. I think it's interesting how food holds a lot of history mm-hmm. and not like just like cultural food like oh if you're from this region in the u.s then like um these are the foods that grew in the region so obviously these are the foods that people cooked within the region right like not just right. kind of like that but like how food had really had a huge impact on culture and had a huge impact have has a huge impact on how we interact with other cultures yes like and also like yeah and classism too which always surprises me like i read this thing about how (laughs) um I'm, i'm gonna say specifically british people but i think it also can be expanded to other european countries um how british people uh and the aristocrats of them uh, aristocrats <laughs> i used to watch a lot of aristocrats and so now i have to correct myself no i do the same thing i love it <laughs> good movie um terrible movie racist movie but the music is really fucking good um <laughs> but um but like how british people were like ooh spices yeah Ooh, 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 because we're colonizing other places that are able to grow spices. Wow. Right. And then if they became more accessible, like spices, flavoring, yeah. seasonings became more accessible to not just like the higher ups, but also to just more common people. And so then British people were like, well, we don't, or the rich British people were like, well, we don't like this anymore because everyone can have it and i'm like y'all are really gonna eat unseasoned food because other people can eat unseasoned food mm-hmm. like that's the type of world you want to live in you're gonna opt out of seasoning that's fucking wild man <laughs> you chose to do well that's also like that comes back to like that's why irish food and british food are so wildly different right mm. like right like irish food is like the bomb right really like, it's like it's like seasoned potatoes right i mean and yeah <laughs> love seasoned actually potatoes. Season, yeah <laughs> But again, it's because it's like, it's a lot of Irish food is derived from, well, first of all, like resistance, but also like making the most of what they had mm-hmm. and also rejecting British stuff, right? Gotcha. And so around that time, as like Britain, like Britain aristocrats were like, we're not going to season our food. Irish people and also other people in Europe were just like, no, we're going to keep doing that. So like yeah. throughout Europe, you can find little pockets of like delicious food that mm-hmm. is seasoned. It has like, elements of asia mm-hmm. like it's not well it's not globalized right mm-hmm. and it's like it's, i don't want to say like it's a shocking thing but it's because of that that which what you just explained mm-hmm. would be aristocrats moving away from from spices yeah but yeah but for food and culture that's actually part of what i studied so i studied mm-hmm. bioarchaeology and anthropology bioarch is basically mummies and the and like you know digging up stuff from hundreds of years ago mm-hmm. and then my main focus and like I went to like field school in South America and like you know focus on this was using teeth and bones and whatever's left over to determine what people ate because your bones and your uh-huh. hair and your teeth mm-hmm. leave a DNA not a DNA leave a blueprint of mm-hmm. what your life was like and what your body was like wow specifically yeah. so, so like the things you ate so like from a if, if I had a good this sounds weird, but if I had a good skeleton, had a good sample, mm-hmm. and we were able to do the 
great analysis. You could tell if this person was ever pregnant, if they ever smoked, what their diet was, the type of proteins they ate, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then what I did was focused on pre-Incan, so not even just like pre-Columbus, yeah, basically pre-colonial native mm-hmm. people um, that were later, yeah, anyway, um, and how their diets determined determine their gender. Because um, one of the things would be like, yeah, right? So like um, chicha, which is like a type of fermented alcohol made from corn, mm-hmm. um, in certain societies, only women would make the chicha, but they oh. wouldn't consume it. Only, oh. quote unquote, men would. Mm-hmm. And then there were special people who were allowed to not only make it but also consume it mm-hmm. and that could impact their gen so like may- they might not have been considered a man or a woman mm-hmm. they might have been like considered something else mm-hmm. or like a special warrior um so just like literally like what i studied was to look at bones to see what people ate to see how it made up their culture and specifically wow. gender awareness yeah i would love to talk more about off channel but like i would love to talk yeah. more about just like here i i knew that you studied archaeology but i didn't know and like anthropology but i didn't know that you studied specifically like food (laughs) have you ever i'm sure you have and please don't laugh at me if this is like a terrible example but have you ever watched the show bones yes yeah (laughs) that a lot of what you're describing sounds very similar to her where she was just like you can look at a person's bones and determine the type of life they lived and um you know not just and and like in school when we learn about like just archaeology with as as just a big like generalization we're like okay we can tell if someone was male or female and maybe you know if they had a kid or something like that or if they were sick uh this bug we done okay um and i was like okay that makes sense it makes sense but then like just the amount of detail that you were kind of describing i think is is fascinating that that's something that can be known you know like right. that's 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 really dope so that's cool <laughs> yeah i so i did watch bones a lot growing up mm-hmm. um and archaeologists have a love-hate relationship with it because it introduces so many people to you know, what bioart is. It's also very nerdy. And mm-hmm. the type of research that Bones does is forensic, because mm-hmm. that's one of the fields within bioart. And that's, like, I think, like, the one with the most job opportunities and, like, the most fun. And then there's research, right? There's, like, you know, the stuff that I was trying to, that I was doing and trying to do was, like, where you just, for a summer, dig up as much as you can, try and analyze it. Mm-hmm. And, and within the permissions that you're given, and it, that's kind of like, and the work that you're doing, you're not going to see it for another two, three years because oh. it takes years and years to go through that mm-hmm. that data and analysis. And it's it's very dirty. It's like very like detailed and not it's not as appealing as forensics, right? Yeah. Um, the reason it's not as it's like the love hate is the hate apparently not apparently, but in my school, Kathy writes the person who developed bones was yeah. actually a professor yeah. at UNC Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. She was like a, you know, in the department, but she left. I want to say like mid nineties. Okay. And she, but she still, for some reason, has the University of UNC Charlotte affiliated with her publishings up until now. Oh. So the, the Department of 
anthropology would get all of these and say, hey, we want to work with Kathy Wright. And they're like, bro, she hasn't been working here since we were born. <laughs> and I think there's like, I mean, this is like a little bit too much to you, but there, I think there was also like a certain, not saltiness, but like, she was so successful. Her stories were so successful. Yeah. But the department itself never got any credit. Like, it was oh. always just Miss C. Charlotte. It was never like the anthropological permanent anthropology, oh. okay. the faculty or staff anybody that may have assisted with her research like what so was so she like a professor there or was she like like a grad student or was she, she was all a, of those things she was a professor okay. yeah yeah she was a professor for a while i think like some people i'm not sure if this is accurate or not but she was like a department head for a minute okay had like a higher but yeah but that's been you know that was a long time ago that was almost 30 years ago now yeah so so the department like really just like you know they never like shit talk or anything but you know yeah. that like and also, like, I think she was also an, an expert witness on the the a really national trial where, what's her name, Casey? Unfortunately, the mom that that was accused of, of drowning her baby, Casey Anthony, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that name. And a, and a lot of experts did not agree with her mm. research. Also, like, we're talking, sorry, I'm going to bring it back to gender. In bioarchaeology, when you are, like, it's called it's they make an explicit difference between sexing and gender yeah like this is like just practice for like decades like yeah gender is very different than sex yeah and it's a known rule that you don't sex minors as in like if you have a young body or a skeleton Mm -hmm. there's no way to without a shadow of a doubt or without you know without any doubt conclude what the sex of this skeleton is yeah so so most of the time it's not it's not good practice to say this three-year-old body or skeleton is a female sex. And people because how would you know? Don't. Right. Yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't do that. There's yeah. no, like, there's no, like, within, like, the few, the, like, physical determiners of sex within your bones, those aren't developed yet. And yeah. it's not, it's not conclusive. And then also there's a range of sex scenes. So it's, like, one through five. Um, sorry, zero through five, where it's just like kind of male, kind of female, and then like the dead middle, like neither male or female. Mm. Um, and so, and then when you're like identifying a body, you would put like eh, like a two or like a three. That's um, based on really story. really cool. Yeah, so I it's like it's so. A, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and so like it, when it comes to like queer stuff, well, not queer stuff, but like today gender norms Mm -hmm. and this is all like very hard to explain to like an everyday conversation Mm -hmm. but part of that part of the reason i I love studying so much is like yeah even we're looking at the physical proof or like what we are literally physically made of nothing is concrete nothing is set by binary nothing is set by a boundary there's still a spectrum and there's still like this space for include what's it called like not being conclusive mm-hmm. i love yeah. that i love that so 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 much like on the topic of like sexing or gendering kids like i always am maybe obnoxiously but i also like don't be talking about kids a lot but like remind people because they'll be like oh like you know that little boy or that little girl and it's like i don't have problems with those words like at all i don't mm-hmm. um but whenever people are trying to Whenever people are so dead set on, like, gendering their kids, like, 
I have a daughter and so I'm putting her in ballet. Fine, because all genders do ballet. But what we know is that ballet is considered to be feminine. Feminine Feminine is considered to be girl. And because of your child's genitals, girl, right? And I'm always like, what if that kid wants to fucking throw axes? Like, I don't know. <laughs> is that like, is that like a masculine thing? I don't, I don't yeah. really know the answer to that. But like, you know, and so it's just really fascinating that like science, like archaeology knows that like, yo, we really don't know. Because like just physically, like developmentally, kids are literally all the same. <laughs> like kids yeah. have no idea. Really? If you cut they that really little girl's are. hair... Yeah. Like, people were going to be like, that's a boy. I'd be like, or that's a, a, a child with short hair, you know? Or even, like, how with babies, people will be like... Like, I remember seeing this one thing where, like, some some mom had just covered, 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 covered their baby in pink clothes, right? Just, you know, pink head to toe, which is very common because people are really into gendering infants, who, by the way, infants like shit themselves. And you're like, this person's a boy. And it's like, that person is shitting itself, but (laughs) I guess go off. Um, And she expressed being upset because people were calling her baby a boy, even though it's very obvious that the baby is a girl because uh, she put pink on the baby, right? Um, and everyone knows that if you put pink on a baby boy, then it's just going to like, the clothes are automatically just going to like come off, like just repel. Um, and so, but she was like so, so frustrated. And I remember my mom talking about how frustrated she was because I was bald. I was a bald baby. Just, I had one strand of little straight red hair and then it fell out and then I was bald until I was like three. And then I finally got hair and curls and stuff like that. Um, and so she would always like, you know, try to do my hair, which why, why, why did she try to do my hair? I didn't have any hair. Um, and you know, of course, like dress me in gendered clothes, but to be fair, like I was born in the eighties, I was a nineties kid and gender, gendered clothing and gendered toys were not exactly prominent in my childhood. It wasn't until later in my childhood, whenever simple gender I mean all toys are genderless but like genderless toys became gendered right so like now we are making blue things and pink things so we so that you know boys can play with the same toys as girls but they'll be blue and I remember I remember actually seeing that distinction like growing up because most of my toys were like basic colors right because kids need to know basic colors like that's how kids learn and so it would be like a, a plastic yellow box with different shapes, shape holes, right? And then the blocks were also basic colors, like red and blue. And like, that's how you learn primary colors um, by seeing primary colors. But they, as I, you know, got a little bit old, too old for obviously those toys, they started to gender those. So it would be a pink box with flowers or something like that and it's just like not that pink is not an important color but like kids are really trying to get a grasp on yellow and you're really throwing them for a loop with this pink shit um so it was just kind of anyways tangent but but yeah so i i always think it's fascinating how different cultures 
historically and even presently like gender and don't gender kids um especially just because like i don't know i I feel like to a certain extent kids are like a blank slate right it's just like no i really do not know (laughs) at all um yeah and not to bring it down uh also I am a sunset poke, so like the sunset's gorgeous. So I'm in the living room, like the sunsets have really been like doing it lately. Yeah. Oh my god. But so the the study I did in in Peru was actually digging up, assisting in digging up the biggest. This is gonna turn a little just trigger warning, but little little dark. Um, It was the biggest mass grave in Mm. recorded history, Um, and it was. The biggest mass grave of children. Oh, like, specifically of minors. Why? Specifically of non-adults. Um. So, the there's like a lot of theories. The biggest one being child sacrifice because okay. of actually now they're in the middle of a hurricane. Um. The theory was is that the people back then there was a huge because of El Nino. Um. There'd be these huge storms that could potentially wipe out. You know, not civilization, but like their livelihood or like mm-hmm. how they know it and, and from their from their recorded history that always be, be like a once in a lifetime huge storm mm-hmm. um that would like decimate them or would like really impact the society that was in mm-hmm. and so the theory goes that this community um had a mass child sacrifice to appease oh. the gods or the universe i forgot i don't think it was a god exactly even uh who appease the universe and also like it was a very like significant thing like they were giving away their youth like they were like mm-hmm. and quote-unquote unve- investing their youth and legacy so that they could like live and, and wow and, and yeah so it was like two three years well, no it was like that was like 2018 i keep thinking it was, so it was like four years ago mm-hmm. a lot of the research has been coming out now slowly um hundred then we, we started Okay, we're we're good. I have an old computer. <laughs> so <laughs> it was so, like, ooh. Let's all check. Yeah, yeah. But so a lot of the so so there were two parts, like one was in the field, like literally digging mummies up and literally like brushing the dirt away and stuff. And it was like so much stuff. And then the second part was in a lab. And in the lab you were analyzing bones and bodies from the previous dig or like stuff that was just now getting processed because you can dig stuff up but the process of being able to analyze it takes a while okay so when we finally got the bodies and a lot of the the, the bodies that i specifically analyzed and studied were all children mm. like they were wow. all minors some like some like and again like everyone because i know this can be hard to, to think about or, or picture but it was i think the youngest was like a year old oh. to um to like 10, 12 year olds up until teens, mm-hmm. and then some adults, like yeah. um, a couple of adults, but a lot of it like was minors. And so, and it's when you get these parts, you have to put them together and put it an- automatically correct. So, like, like rib by rib, toe by toe, all that stuff. Wow. And I can definitely tell you there is not a difference. Like, not like <laughs> between like two, not a difference. Yeah. Not a difference at all. Like, the skeletons looked almost exactly the same um and again like you know some some things might have like a determinant of sex but because it hasn't been developed enough yet to be conclusive mm-hmm. it still would be inconclusive right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but 
yeah, it was a lot of that was a lot of the, the physical skeletons were the same. Um, the wildest skeleton I had was putting back together a skull of like presumably a 40 year old person mm-hmm. and they had received the bludgeon to their oh, head shit. and it like they, it was like a deep like deep I don't I don't know how you call it but blow essentially like a cartoonish blow like when you think of like <laughs> you Flintstone stuff like that yes okay but but like into this day, if you, if you got in your a blow to the head like that, you would like, you could instantly die. Yeah. But it had somehow healed. Okay. Wow. And you know, based on the age range and the bones and stuff, that happened like five years before this person passed away. Wow. And, I, I, and I'm just way, amazed yeah. that you could even know that. Yeah, and so it was just like the fact that it healed, mm-hmm. and this poor like person had also been through some stuff because they had a lot of stress factors in their mm-hmm. shoulders and stuff. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. But it was just like, damn, you survived that much. Like Mm. that was just like fascinating. It was like I could see like I've seen that I could see this injury now and I know like it could instantly kill somebody. Yeah. Permanent brain damages, paralyzation. But you survived. I don't know. Like I like again, this is somebody from six hundred years ago, but like Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Twelve hundred yeah, it was like twelve hundred years ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is all very fascinating. I'm like, <laughs> uh, I'm like amazed, actually. Um, okay, let's let's get into the podcast. <laughs> yeah. All from what type of potato would you be? Uh, I know. <laughs> oh God. Um, so, Lou, what um, what identities do you hold? Um, queer, brown. Southern, like American Southern, mm-hmm. um, immigrant, Colombian, and then within Colombia, there's like different, there's like rich people, which are people from Bogota, which is like the coldest city mm-hmm. in the country. So they call people from Bogota fridge. <laughs> so they're coming from the fridge. And then Bogotans are known to be like kind of cold, apathetic, uppity, you know, like condescending, I want to say. Okay, like New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically, Bogota is the New York of okay. South America and Colombia. So, like, so definitely, like, a, a Bogota identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my grandparents were actually from, like, the mountains. Okay. Um, and so that's, like, a different culture. And I, I like, love learning about that. But I don't think I, I would identify as that. Um, but definitely, like, a Bogota Colombian. Yeah. Wait, you would to... identify as a Bogotan Colombian? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, immigrant, career, Latin, like, um, there was another one I was thinking about, but I, I forgot about it. Um, definitely like a daughter, mm-hmm. a sister, and then one that like I really loved developing over the past years has been like community supporter or mother because I grew up in like organizing like I grew up in youth organizing mm-hmm. um and it got to the point a couple of years ago or a while ago where I was just like oh I'm not an organizer like I haven't like organized shit I just like help people that do or like I'll like sit in into like you know meetings and plannings and all that stuff and it's never like one person really like, organizing is like a community effort mm-hmm. but I'm always I've always been the type of person I'm just like yeah you tell me a time and place and I'll show up 
Yeah. Um, I know that about you. And <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, so like definitely a good community supporter. I don't, and I was thinking about, I was like, yeah, even like the height of like organizing, like organizing around immigrant rights or queer rights or whatever it might be. It was very hard for me to be the, like, I don't want to say the point person because it required a lot of public face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was always like the background person. Like I was always mm-hmm. like, all right, so this is how we get these signs. This is how we get transport. This yeah. is how we get like, and then over the years, so many more people have developed those roles perfectly. Yeah. That I'm always just like, I'm not going to mess with this well-oiled machine. I'm right. just going to show up and you're going to let me know what you need. Yeah. And I can help provide that. It sounds like you and I have kind of similar uh, approaches to organizing to whatever but like I I like behind the scenes stuff too like I like to make sure that stuff is running well Mm -hmm. and efficiently and on time um and I don't necessarily need my face to be seen like yeah or even necessarily want my face to be seen um but I love like behind the scenes kind of shit just making shit happen and you know seeing it kind of come into fruition into like maybe a more public eye and like knowing that I had a hand in that so I get that I'm really Same. enjoying watching Bo um he's just so curious to see what's going on just vibing little... yeah he's like yeah. oh we're at the window now okay I love windows <laughs> yeah I love windows I love watching the sunset too yeah like, yeah Aww. I think um, he's also just interested because I have my headphones in and so he, he can't hear you oh like, really you know, something's going on yeah because he keeps hears me talking he's just like but you're not talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Leia, if I was sitting on the couch right now, Leia would be like in my fucking mouth. Um, that's part of why I'm sitting at the table because she's just like, okay, so I noticed that you're not giving attention to me, but you're giving someone else attention. I just like, that doesn't really sit right with me. Um, okay. So some of your identities yes. are um, you're Colombian, you're an immigrant, you're queer, you said that you're a daughter. One thing that we were kind of talking about before we started recording was your, uh, what's it called? Birth order? Kind yeah. of like sibling status, siblings status, sibling order or whatever. Um, is that something that is that like an identity that you uh, consider? Or is that not something that is kind of, I don't know, uh, influential in, in who and how you are? It is very influential. And again, just like, you know, warning for like grief and loss and whatever. But like, mm-hmm. I grew up the oldest of two kids in my household. So mm-hmm. between my parents and like in their household, um, it was me and my younger sister. Mm-hmm. I was the oldest child. I, we came in here when I was five. My sister was born here. Mm-hmm. But growing up, I was the oldest, like, oldest sister, oldest Latina. Like, so I did so much for my parents. And then specifically because my little sister was born um, with cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. like, a lot of, like, physical disabilities and cognitive disabilities. So my parents and I had to learn how to navigate healthcare and had to navigate ableism mm. and all these things just to make sure that my sister survived and my parents didn't speak English mm-hmm. I did so I remember like one of the most poignant moments of that is when my sister was born mm-hmm. translators back in the day aren't as available as they are today okay. this was like 20 years ago mm-hmm. 18 to 20 years ago now yeah 
so I like had to help translate what was going on to my mom like I had to help translate that like you know her umbilical cord her wrapped around her neck mm-hmm. and like had lost oxygen and all that stuff mm-hmm. and like translate it and like try and like read the charts and like and so my sister when she was born she was in a hospital for like six months wow um and so I had to like learn how to just navigate the hospital navigate like and teach yeah. that to my parents right yeah. um and like little things like like the follow-up appointments all of that um since 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 I was a child and so it always became like I was in emergency contact I was the older sister like take mm-hmm. care of her take care of my parents um what I was the age difference between you and your sister I was eight when she was born so okay she, yeah so eight years um, and by the time of middle school, like, yeah. So I also like, I think this, this might be like an immigrant thing or not, or immigrant child thing. I helped my parents so much with their stuff that I could easily steal their identities and they wouldn't be like that way. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I could like, I could easily go to the bank and get their, like, yeah. so like the yeah. power of knowledge, right? But like. <laughs> Like their taxes, their yeah. mortgage. When they bought the the house that they live in now, mm-hmm. I was in like late late high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I like their mortgage applications, mm-hmm. like all of that. I like translated or, or did for them. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, I had to learn to do everything for myself. Mm-hmm. So my parents, because they were working, you know, back, like back then, were very much like they had like five jobs between the two of them. Couldn't speak English. So I would have to like, you know, sign everything for myself. Like you know, in school when you get those packets, I would sign everything for myself. Oh um, yeah, yeah, as I'm sure. Yeah, like my own stuff. Like if I needed a, a doctor's appointment or whatever, find a way to get it. Like all yeah. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff that like I know that they they wanted to be able to do or maybe just didn't even think to do. Yeah, I kind of just. You just did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's a huge marriage between being the eldest child and so having all this essentially un not undue because you were obviously competent, but like all of this responsibility just thrust mm-hmm. on you. <laughs> and you're yeah. literally like eight. <laughs> like yeah. you're a you're a child, you know? Um yeah. If, yeah, um, and then also I remember seeing a lot of that whenever I was teaching here in Charlotte because um, the majority of my students were in um, ESL. The majority of the school, honestly, was, um, was, La- was Latino. And so luckily we had pe- like adults who could translate, but the amount of work and like just growing up with like, friends who are immigrants whose parents didn't speak yeah. English, um, whatever language their parents did speak, like the amount of things that like I didn't even really understand until I was an adult that yeah. they understood as children. Like taxes? Yeah. Who is she? Yeah. What is that? Right. Yes. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I, I think that's that's a that's an incredible amount of responsibility that you had from a young age. Um, and I always, I don't know, I always think about just, like, I see these random, and maybe it's you posting them, I don't know, but I see these random things, like, on Twitter, where like, these memes, 
and it's just like you know like the a picture of like a five-year-old kid reading like documents like real documents here you know like adult documents and it's just like me translating you know a mortgage or whatever for my parents because my parents don't speak english and because the application the application and and honestly a lot of like big grown-up world things are not made accessible for people who don't speak english and it's stupid it is a lot better now yes yeah Yeah. but like 10 years ago no yeah and and so just seeing like kids knowing about and not necessarily knowing about bad things like there's nothing wrong with kids knowing about like taxes or whatever but like like kids you know they should be able to be out like side and play and like learn about like the world in that capacity and not necessarily exactly learn about the world in more grown-up capacities at the age of like five and so i think that's a tremendous responsibility and um and you know i even you know still today see you um always making sure that your your family is taken care of um so um, you kind of already spilled into this a little bit, but how do these different identities that you hold inform your wellness needs and your self-care needs? Oh, God, so much. And like in good and bad ways. So like with the eldest daughter, mm-hmm. that was who I was almost all my life, mm-hmm. I want to say. Um, my parents, it, I, I, I don't know if it was in picture or not, but they always put this pressure like my mom used to say you have to live twice as much you have to leave two lives mm. um you have to leave your life and then enjoy as much as you can because your sister might not be able to mm. and then when i was like 15 16 i told her like okay that's a lie because i'm pretty sure now enjoys your life a lot more than i enjoy life. <laughs> yeah now does whatever she wants she, she has her own sh- and like our lives and like my sister and i were completely different people like yeah. my sister was super vain super flirty like super social like mm-hmm. we were polar opposites mm-hmm. um and these are things that like i don't know how to say people assume that especially with disabled people that are wheelchair bound that are like you know have severe paralyzed like you know mm-hmm. immobile um nonverbal. Mm-hmm. um people assume that their personalities just like things like what they wear like going back to the kids but you know um, are pressed upon them or projections or like oh, this is what okay. mom and dad or their caregiver caregiver wanted to give them so that's mm-hmm. what they're going to have that was not true with Nally because now you could tell right away what she didn't like <laughs> so if she didn't like what she was wearing she would throw a fit if <laughs> she didn't like her room you would know it right away if she yeah. didn't like somebody she would like you would know right away oh and I so, love that like, <laughs> Like, just the way that Nellie would be, like, would dress or be dressed were all things that she picked out. Yeah. And it was, like, the complete opposite of mine. Like, yeah. I was, you know, to this day, gray, black, some blue, and that was it. Nellie was, like, purple, purple, pink, and purple. <laughs> that that was her thing. Yeah. So I feel like every time I, like, saw her, she was definitely wearing, like, a pink shirt and, like, had, like, pink hair ties and stuff. And I was like, I mean, do your thing, girl. Like, if that's you, <laughs> go off. Her, her wheelchair was pink. And yeah. I remember that they were, like, when we were, like, uh, again, like, in the appointments and stuff, um, with with the company and the, and the therapist, I'm like, there's so many people involved trying to get a child a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. It's, like, 
ridiculous but also necessary at the same time. Yeah. Anyway, there she was being shown different models, and she was so mad when we were considering one that wasn't pink, <laughs> and she was just like, "Why? What do you?" And like, and like, we're trying to see if like insurance could cover it, or if you have to pay out of pocket how much it was. She's right. like, "I don't care. I'm getting the pink one." Right? <laughs> so I love it. We were just so just like stuff like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we were always like very, you know, I was always super protective of her. Yeah. Um, all like, you know, all these things that come with like an oldest, oldest sibling, oldest child. But, you know, my sister passed away 2020, mm-hmm. mid pandemic. And part of what has made the last couple of years and the grieving process so hard was coming to the terms that I wasn't an oldest sibling anymore. Oh, um, wow coming to the terms that I don't have a younger sister anymore. So I'm not my like my role and my identity and my family has completely turned upside down. Mm. Especially because with a lot of our community that my family built here revolved around my parents or my sister. And I was always known as Nellie's big sis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now that Nellie's not here anymore it's almost as if like my connection to a lot of those things has been severed or like not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and they're like little things like, you know, like little each things like national sibling day that are really hard. Um, but yeah, like just not, and I didn't realize how big of my, like that part of my identity was part of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like we were talking about like before, um, I mean, part of the reason I did go for things that I didn't think were possible for myself mm-hmm. was because of the pressure that my parents would put on saying, hey, you have to live as twice or like, yeah. and I would think to myself, like, even when I went to Berlin, mm-hmm. I'm a scholarship or when I went to Peru on a scholarship or, you know, traveled or did, you know, crazy risky things. Yeah. Part of that was this like thing. It's like, oh, I get to experience this. Mm-hmm. And then I always felt like, I had a really cool bond with Nellie and that what I experienced could be communicated to her yeah. and she could either go, oh, that's really cool or, oh my God, you're such a dumb fuck. <laughs> <laughs> How have you survived? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry I'm like crying in your face. <laughs> but I really appreciate you sharing that. That's really, I, I did not think about, um, I did not think about that. So I'm sorry if that was, I know I'm the one crying, but, like, I know I'm sorry if that was, like, a painful reminder um, no, for you to bring that No, up. it wasn't. And, and, again, it's, like, it's it's all part of the process, right? It's part of the grieving process. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, even to this day, so my birthday's in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and also for context for viewers, I have, or listeners, I have two older half-siblings. Uh-huh. And my half-brother, who's a year older than me, my half-sister, who's two years older than me. Oh, he's a year older I than think, you? No. Yeah. Oh, I yes, that. I know. There's a joke among my. We're related through my dad, mm-hmm. so they're kids from a previous marriage. Yeah. And the joke, the joke around my dad's family and our cousins is that my dad couldn't get his pants back on enough oh after the child was born. God. Uh, but yeah, we're all back to back. Like one exactly one year too, because my oh. sister's October fifth, and my brother is November twenty fifth. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Ex- exactly a year. Um. But. But yeah, so now it's kind of this, and I'm out of the three, I'm now the youngest one of them. Mm. Um, and it's become this thing where like, 
one of the most pivotal moments I realized while I'm the youngest is I went to Disney World with my sister, her husband, and their siblings. Mm-hmm. And we went to Epcot first. And as we established, I love food. I love food. <laughs> yeah. I was not sober by the time we got to Germany. <laughs> and in Germany, in Germany, I got this little glass sign of Stitch, because Leland Stitch is my favorite Disney movie, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Um, and I was walking around with it, drinking beer out of it, and somebody bumped into me, mm-hmm. and the glass sign just broke, oh. like shattered. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, it's okay, it's whatever. I was like, we're going to keep walking around. Like, it'll be fine. I'll, like, get another one. Or I have the receipts. I'll come and get it. But my sister saw it. And I think she saw the look on my face. Because I was just like, it's not the time of my life. I had beer in my hand. It was like, (laughs) you know, Stitch. I just ate food from, like, (laughs) I, like, ate food from different countries. And then it was like, this one was like, oh my God, this sucks. Like, I was devastated. Like, and then I realized it's just the material thing. I can either get it again or the meaning yeah. behind it isn't gone. But she was just like, absolutely not. And so she like grabbed the receipt from, because I just bought it like, I don't want to say like 20 minutes before. Yeah. Walked around Epcot, went back to the Stein store, showed them the receipt, and it was like, I need this again. Like, it just broke, and this is, like, proof of it and whatever. Yeah. And I remember, like, I think the shop didn't want to, like, honor it or something, mm-hmm. and then they were like, oh, no, it's Disney. We have to, because, like, Disney yeah. is a health place for workers. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and then, like, because it's a glass design, they had, that was the only stitch one left. So they had oh. to stitch it into a new glass. Oh. And the whole time, yeah, and the whole time I was like, no, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And she's like, no, 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 no. And I was just like, and it felt so weird. And I realized, oh, this is what older siblings are supposed to do for you. Yeah. And I never really, like, experienced that as a kid. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, she's just being, and my sister, my my half-sister, or, or, yeah, my sister, like, my older sister, she grew up the elder sister in her house. Yeah, so she, so she already up, knew knew the business, yeah. Right, right. And so I was just like, yeah, it was like this moment, I was like, kind of a small thing but i was just like oh my god yeah this is what it's like to, to have an older sister yeah um so it kind of just went from like you know still an important identity just changed a lot mm-hmm. um and so and again like with with my birthday coming up like it's hard for my parents to acknowledge my birthday mm-hmm. because it's also an acknowledgement that between my mom and my dad at least i'm their only child left yeah right wow yeah um so Lately, my parents, the last couple, since my sister has died, my parents have always made plans on my birthday. They aren't my birthday plans. And they're like, oh, we could just do dinner the next day or something. Or, oh. like, we could just, like, because I, so like, and I know it's hard for me, too, but, like, yeah. I know for my mother specifically, who, like, went through the process of birthing us, right? Yeah. It's hard for her to be, like, happy birthday. You're the only one left. <laughs> like yeah 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 and so yeah so still part of it the other things um other identities that involve my self-care um definitely being a community member because i think like growing up in the states Mm -hmm. growing up in a westernized country there's this huge push to be an individual Mm -hmm. to kind of just be like I only care about myself and fuck it, that's it. Um, so if I want to destroy my life, I'm going to destroy it. If I want to, like, not take care of myself, I'm not going to take care of myself. Yeah. 
but I think the last couple of years, one of like the lessons I've had or been trying to learn as a community member is that nobody really lives their life alone. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even if I just destroy my life, that's still impacting other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if I were just like to stay in that herd all day mm-hmm. <laughs> and never interact with anybody and mm-hmm. like, die of alcohol poisoning, there's like my roommates are still going to be impacted by that, right? right? The people that have to like, you know, like pick up after my pieces are the people that. Yeah. And then like the communities that I want to help and be part of, I can't do that if I'm not thinking for myself. Mm-hmm. And I can't like be present for movements, be present for action, be present for the things I want to yeah how does that like how does that make you feel knowing that you can be as much of like a hermit or recluse as you want but ultimately you your existence and or your lack of existence does affect people like do you like that do you not like that do you care i like it it, it's a hate again I'm a Libra so it's a hate love relationship and that like sometimes we forget about it right and sometimes yeah. like some of the, like the deep insecurities especially if, like, if you struggle with like again warning like depression or like isolation some of like the deep insecurities I have and I know other people may have as well is that you don't matter right like if you were to disappear overnight it like it wouldn't have an effect yeah and so remembering it's the opposite like no even if even if you at all so now i have people in the community that care mm-hmm. about me. even if i had nobody to care for myself even if i like they didn't have any friends or family um there would still be people who would be impacted by my death either through work through yeah. the community through just like god forbid like if like the emt person that would come, the mm-hmm. mortician, the doctor that would have to give the third death certificate, mm-hmm. like, whatever, right, like, there's still these ripples that are going to be left behind, Yeah. Um, and so it's also, like, I think it's also, my parents, again, I grew up in a house where it was just, like, it's not about you, mm-hmm. it's about us, and it's about us getting through this, mm-hmm. um, that also resonates with community, where it's just, like, yeah. okay, if I were to, like, not take care of myself and kind of, like, crumble in, um, the things and skills I have to put towards, like I said, the movement, but towards community mm-hmm. aren't going to be available. Yeah. And they're not going to be available long-term. It yeah. doesn't mean that my communities aren't entitled to them, so to say, but it just means that the power and resources it could build would be cut off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think... Um, I actually think a lot about that as well. Just like, like you said, like the whole, you know, depression and whatever, where you're like, I don't want to be here. And like, it wouldn't matter, but like, it would, it would matter. It would absolutely matter. And even if sometimes all you can think of is like one person or in one way Mm -hmm. that you're, because like, it's not that you can unexist and that's the difference, right? Right. If right. I unexisted, then that means there was never me. Mm-hmm. But like, that's impossible because I'm existing right now. And right. so if I were to die, 
um, it would be death and it would not be in unexistence. And because right. I have existed and I do exist in this particular plane of existence, um, it would have to have an impact, period. Yeah. 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 And yeah, and again, like just bringing it back to, to, to the research and the work I was doing, like, mm-hmm. you know, these were skeletons of children yeah. 600 years ago. And had it not been, I know, like, pre-colonization and whatever, like, mm-hmm. a lot of the communities were wiped out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But having that proof, like, some of these communities were, like, I don't know how to say it, but, like, the most destroyed by colonization, mm-hmm. right? Like, the most, like, decimated, the most forgotten about to this day, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact that there is a biological archive that we all have and will leave behind that is a testament to their existence yeah it's 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 powerful and that's something that you know like like you said like when we die we're not even if we get like cremated or like buried into a tree Mm -hmm. or turned into a diamond there's always gonna have that biological footprint that our existence was here yeah and nothing nothing can erase that yeah not even like well, maybe a nuclear bomb. But even, like, not even a nuclear bomb. No. That. Yeah. yeah. I think that, I mean, and, uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, but there's, like, a scientific principle, I guess it's called, where, like, about matter, about how matter can neither be destroyed or created. It exists, right? Right. right. And I think about that in terms of me being a... a, a I don't know, a bunch of matter. Um, and how, like, my, ex- and say, like, my existence is matter, right? Then, like, it, it can't ever go away at this point, right? right. And right. even though, you know, it kind of didn't exist before I was born, but, you know, we don't have to make all those parallels. Um, but, yeah, I think that's really just... I think it's really fascinating. I think it's really beautiful. And, and I think... Even in my, like, really dark days, I I do take comfort in knowing, like, my unaliving would be impactful in a way. Yeah. Even if just for my little dog. Oh, it would totally be for me as well. <laughs> yeah. That goes without saying. I hope it does. But, like, yeah. um, I think the other thing, too, is just, like, again, like, don't want to get too much into it, but, like, the other day, so over the summer, somebody I knew passed away from suicide. And it was like a man in his, like, white man in his, like, 40s, mm. which is, like, and I was at the funeral with, like, some of my friends and, like, people that knew him. And, like, our friend, my, my friends knew him from playing trivia. Mm-hmm. We were, like, on posting trivia teams. And then over the years, like, we would just, like, hang out, you know, as we do. But one of my friends said something like, yeah, I never know what to do. This is like maybe like my first or second funeral. Mm. I never know what to do. And I was just like, this is my sixth funeral for suicide. Mm. It is like maybe my 12th or 13th funeral. I, I literally stopped counting after 10. Yeah, I, I don't know how many funerals I've been to. I have a large biological family. Um, mm-hmm. varying in age, obviously. And so, I mean, I, I think the first funeral I went to, I was, I think, seven. 
Mm. Um, well, the first, let me say this, the first funeral that I at least remember going to, there's possibly, you know, one before that or something, but um, it was for my dad's dad, my papa. And then like a year later, it was for this like family friend that we called Nanny. Um, and so I've just always been, at least on the death point, the death thing I can't say death note because that's a thing right but (laughs) but like at least about death like I've always understood that it exists it's never been like and like and you know along that comes with like funerals and memorial services and stuff like that um and so it's it's like for me it's very hard to imagine that there are people who haven't experienced who don't have as much experience with death Um, because I personally am too young. (laughs) I'm too young to have experienced the amount of death and like, and the amount of death and like the proximity of the people in my life to death. That's, that's kind of what I mean. Cause it's like, we all are technically experiencing death. Queen Elizabeth died like two weeks ago or something, but, um, but like the, proximity and like you know friends and stuff like that and actually now that I think about it I never went to any of the funerals but I think every year in high school um one of my classmates committed suicide um I'm gonna put a lot of trigger warnings for this episode but (laughs) which is fine I'm it's fine but it's just like wow um but yeah and so it's just I think it's interesting people's proximity to understanding and to dealing with death but I also think like maybe and and maybe you can um talk more about it too but I I recognize like I've experienced a lot of death with people who are close to me like with family members like and like immediate family members not like oh you know my great 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 uncle kind of thing like people who like birthed me people who created me people who have the same mom and dad as me um and no matter how experienced you are in quote dealing with death with with grief with mourning every time feels like a brand new horrifying just earth-shattering hit to the foundation of who you are yeah yeah and it's like i've been here before but i've never been here before right i've never been here like this before yeah yeah and yeah yeah it's a very um what's that word whenever you like like discombobulating it's just like it's like you lose your footing and you're like what is up like remember that like three seconds where charlotte had an earthquake like a couple years ago yeah you're literally being ripped apart from inside yeah Yeah. and you're just like so is the ground okay like right right. because my whole life the ground has been here but now the ground is not as moving like moving in a way that it never has and i feel like that's how death specifically death that with people who have blood relations or who have like you have like a real uh relationship with is where it's just like okay so i thought the ground was like secure but apparently we can't even trust the ground right no no no. and then i agree and then like 
taking it back to like self care, like yeah, look at you. <laughs> I like at the start. I, yeah, yeah. Taking it back. That's what we're yeah, talking about, like, right? Yeah. Here, I kind of like yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's important to talk about because like part of the reason I felt like my life kind of just fell apart the last couple of years is that I was not allowing myself to grieve and I was not taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you know, there's a line from. <laughs> It was a line from uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, or Leader for Sex. Yeah, I was going up, up up 50 and hit a wall. That means that he was going 100 and, like, I think it was about 20, 120 miles per hour mm-hmm. in a race car, and then literally slammed into a wall and or a car. Wait, who, um, who, Oh, Paul? Was that what you're No, Ludacris. Ludacris. Oh, yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about the guy from Fast and Furious who actually did die. He probably was probably going in book 10. You know? I, I have no but, idea. Oh, my God. Wow. Actually, that's actually accurate. Anyway, um, but in the movie, he was just like, yeah, I went like a book 20, and like I hit a wall. My life changed, and now here I am, not racing, but doing everything around it. Um, and he was just like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm lucky to survive. This year, like January, December, January, I felt like my physical and my mental health hit a wall mm-hmm. after my body and my life and myself had been going like buck wild, like mm. a buck twenty, <laughs> um, and then just hit a wall. And it was just like it was a process of like the first time was just like this like deep alcoholism, like a very subtle one, but a very deep one. Mm-hmm. And I started to go to AA, and I was like, AA is not for me. That is a cult. No, that is, I don't want to dismiss it, but it's very cultish, because it's based on religion. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know it's based on religion. The steps are like accepting a higher power. Oh. Um, yeah. So I was just like, I, I can't do that. And then it was just like a lot of like, I want to say like months of just like, okay, what is this? And then it was just like, okay, duh, alcohol is a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, what's the coping mechanism for? And then to the little subcomp voice in my head that just looks at the fourth wall and say, like, what, like, what isn't it coping with? Right? Mm. Like, yeah. And so, and then later on, I was just like, I literally cannot go living on like this. Mm-hmm. Like, if I go on like this, I'm gonna like, I'm not gonna be here soon. Like, it's just like, I can't live my life this way. And I, yeah. And it got to the point where there's two parts, right? Where it's just like, I can't live like this. And I don't want to live like this. Like, once I had, like, the thought of, like, I don't want to live like this anymore is when I feel like I, like, was able to get back to therapy, mm-hmm. um, was just recently able to start seeing the psychiatrist. And this is all work that takes, like, months, right? Yeah. Like, ment- yeah, mental health and all that stuff is inaccessible. It's not like, okay, just give me a week. <laughs> yeah exactly and i'm and back maybe <laughs> yeah but it was just like it was just it was so so bad and it's because i was just avoiding and dealing with how painful that grief is mm-hmm. part of that was that there is this thing where like having empathy is great being connected through people is great having too much empathy can also be a bad thing mm. where it's just like um so when again like an example being like when when Sully passed away over over the summer it was like really hard but again like you know we would see each other 
once a week. He was like better friends with other people in my trivia team and all that stuff. Um, and I knew him, and it was important for me to show up. But he wasn't like close, right? He wasn't like a dad figure. He mm-hmm. wasn't. But I still felt the same emotions yeah. as I did like ten years ago, mm-hmm. when, like not oh my god, not ten years ago, eight years ago when one of my good friends committed suicide, mm-hmm. or I was put into the thought of like, oh my god, he was a dad, so now his kids don't have a father. Yeah, and that's what my cousins went through, or you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you know, having so much experience with dealing and grieving people that committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, super re-triggering. And then I had to learn to be like, no, like, I can grieve this person and grieve the relationship I had for them, however small or however big. But I don't have to torture myself yeah. to go through every, like, go through that deep, deep empathy of, like, yeah. oh, my God, like, what is his wife, his poor sons, like yeah. all that stuff almost, um, and try and work on like, it's a, it's natural and it's okay that a funeral or a death can trigger you to your bad past losses. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more that like, I think this year I had like a huge breakthrough in just like grieving, grieving Blake who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And from that, it was like this little, it was, it's been years, it's been like, yeah, it's been eight years. It's been almost a decade since mm-hmm. my like passed away. But like having a little bit of resolve and having a little bit of grief, going processing this grief kind of opened the doors and laid a foundation for the rest of the the other losses in my life. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of like you know like this. I don't want to say gateway, but it was like this domino effect of like, okay, like like. I don't have to be sad when I think of like I don't have to like have all these emotions that come with the wall of grief. Yeah. And then from that, it's just like oh, so when I think about Blake, I can take it like this. Eventually, I can do that with Nelly. Eventually, I can do that with my godfather. Eventually, mm-hmm. I'll be able to do that with like my teacher and like all the people that mm-hmm. have like losing them has affected me so much. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Whew. All right. I'm going to take a breath. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah. That's really, that's really good. <laughs> Ooh, whoa. I'm going to blame it on my blood sugar, but we know that's a fucking lie. <laughs> I'm so I, My intention was to talk about food. <laughs> I know. No, it's okay. It's really, but like. I don't, I don't know about you, but I think for me, a lot of times, um, one of my identities is, um, one of my identities was a caretaker for my dad who passed, um, last year. And, um, and I've always been pushed in positions of being a caretaker for my siblings who are significantly younger than, well, not significantly, like seven years and 15 years uh, younger than me. And um, and just everything that you said is just really true. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate you talking about that. And um, I don't know, grief really, um, it just really changes you, you know? And I, 
Yeah. What you described about, like, just, I'm going to be honest, I think I've seen 30 minutes of one Fast and Furious movie, but <laughs> I know they drive fast, and I know they're fast cars, <laughs> and I guess they do it around the world or something, or at least in Tokyo, that's all I know, but what you said about just moving so quickly and realizing that you were kind of on a unhealthy, dangerous, maybe destructive is the word. Um, yeah. trajectory trajectory is so true um and realizing that you hadn't really sat down and figured out why am i drinking so much you know um that's really yeah that's really that's been me a lot over the past honestly more than a year at this point Not, not even like probably since last um and just in terms of grieving family, not even necessarily death, but like grieving the ending of a family that I had built with someone who I thought right. wanted to be family with me forever, because they said that. <laughs> and, um, and then having that almost interrupted or compounded with the death of my dad and um, because I am the eldest sibling and I was his medical power of attorney, all his shit was my responsibility, um, which is absolutely fucking wild that they would ask yeah. anyone like, Hey, I know you're grieving, no, I... but can you sign these documents? Yes. And it's like, yeah. bitch, if you don't get out of my fucking face. Um, so yeah, that was traumatic, but like just going, going, going because we have to, right? Like we have to go to work. We have to feed ourselves. We have to take care of our precious little fur babies. We have to, um, leave the house. We have to do all these things. And one thing that I was always asking my therapist was, am I doing this right? Because I feel like I'm not dealing with a thing because I'm too busy trying to just like keep my head afloat right yeah and my therapist was like you're doing a great job you're taking the time to uh grieve you're taking the time to think you're taking the time to figure out you know what it is that's causing these different maybe like biological changes like i had a ridiculous uh doctor's visit the beginning at the top of the year it's just my annual like gynecological visit or whatever and she's just like you've gained like 20 pounds since the last time i saw you last year what are you like what's up and she was being a fucking bitch that day and so i was like so now i'm like literally not gonna go back to her but and and i was just like well um my family with my now ex-partner at the time wasn't in hadn't hadn't ended but it was ending um my dad died um we're still in a fucking pandemic Uh, um it's winter so seasonal affective disorder um the world is hot trash and so yeah so yeah and plus like i don't like really weigh myself um so like i didn't know i had i mean i knew i had gained weight because i couldn't fit my clothes but it wasn't like oh i've gained 20 pounds it was just kind of like i have all this traumatic shit happening in my life and you're wondering why physio like physically my body is essentially responding to these things um and so i was like here are the reasons and so kind of similar to how you were able to be like okay you know 
I'm drinking a lot. Why am I like, why am I drinking a lot? Why, what am I coping with? What is like the, like kind of going down that rabbit trail and figuring out like the source of whatever it is that, you know, um, and I don't think that weight is, uh, I don't think that losing weight or gaining weight, uh, another trigger warning, but like, I don't think that losing weight or gaining weight is destructive. I think it's right. destructive if you're losing weight in a destructive way. I think it's destructive if yeah. you're gaining weight in a destructive way. Um, but like weight is weight. It's neutral. Um, but like recognizing that like, Hey, we're doing the best we can, right? Like we're doing the best we can and you should be happy that I'm eating. Um, (laughs) you should be be happy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm taking care of my body. I went to the fucking doctor. I fucking hate going to the gynecologist. What what a buzzkill, you know? Um, and all she really heard was, Okay, well, you've gained 20 pounds, so I'm going to run some tests to make sure that your thyroid is fine. I was like, bitch, my thyroid is fine. <laughs> and it is. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, and, like, you know, not – but, like, the, the thing I think about also as an immigrant is that so much of my – I don't say pain because it sounds so tragic, but um, a lot of the grief – the way that I experienced it. My family knows nothing about, right? Like, I think when I was a kid, I was always thought to, like, deal with my own problems. And part of it is because I feel guilty adding to my parents' plate. Mm-hmm. And then the few times that something would slip, it would just be horrendous. So... Like an overreaction? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. So I just, like, never, like, like, to this day, like, my parents get frustrated because they're just like, we don't know what's going on in your life. We don't know, like... Mm-hmm. Like nothing, and I was just like, yes, because that is what the way you raised me. Yeah. But also, like they don't. You they don't had know. to do a little bit of fending for yourself. Yeah, and, and, for and also like, yeah, and like when when Allie passed, I, it was similar in that I was the I planned her funeral, I got her funds, like yeah. all those things. I dealt with the hospital. I was the one that rode and the ambulance for to the hospital. Mm. Um, all those things, like, yeah. um, and so I think we've talked about it before, but season two of. Bridgerton or Anthony? Who? Yeah. No. Every yeah. time I'm like, yeah, ugly crying yeah. at this fucking white man in right. tournament. <laughs> but it's so, right. yeah, accurate. It's accurate. You're right. It's absolutely accurate. I mean, yeah, abso abso fucking lutely. It's just like, I remember there's and I've watched that um, show an embarrassing amount of times. Hi, mama. Are you checking on me? Thank you. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, I've so many times. Um, but there's a scene where Daphne, his, I guess the eldest well, sister, yeah. yes. um, was just like, you didn't even weep. Like, it was like you changed. And I was like, Daphne, you really have no fucking clue, bitch. Like, he didn't have a choice. And so I absolutely, that and also um, the absolutely fucking beautiful Simone Ashley, who played uh, Kate Sharma in Mm. the show. Wow. How do people, how do people look like that? Just. Right. Yeah. I don't understand. Like scientifically but like you know her kind of dealing with the same thing right like the loss of her mother whenever she was a kid her dad re uh remarrying um and having a wonderful relationship with her i guess technically stepmother um but then all the responsibility that she took on whenever her dad died i was like y'all really 
came to fuck me up emotionally. I was looking for something light and British and you right. really <laughs> were like, let's look into Kalea's therapy diaries and right. um, figure out all the complexes they have. Yeah. So that really, um, that show really, I think that's one reason why actually why I like the second season. Also because Kate Sharma again, wow. Absolutely. Goddess who walks right. among us, but, um, uh, and her sister. Um, yeah. So two yeah. things I do. I just, I do have to head up relatively soon. Oh shit. Okay. So in a couple of minutes. So, uh-oh. Things. I'm just going to leave with a couple things. But I do want to continue Yeah, like, maybe doing a second part. We'll do a two-parter. That's what maybe's first two-parter. Okay. But it's, so you mentioned, you know, like, the thing that I also noticed personally within my interpersonal relationship was grieving is that grieving a friendship or a relationship became so much exponentially harder. Mm. I used to be like the person that's like, I don't give a shit if you move away. I don't give a shit if, like, you don't want to live together. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> Not you sorry. naming names, Luke. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But like, but like, okay, yeah. So like when Pooch, my best friend at the time, when yeah. they moved away, it was hard. But I was yeah. like, okay, this is the way that life goes. If Pooch had moved away now, it would have absolutely destroyed me. Yeah. Because now my brain is kind of rewired to think that, hey, this person might leave either the city or even just like, hey, this friend might not be available or might like want to take space yeah and all of a sudden my brain is just like this person is gone this yeah. person is dead this yeah. person is dead to you you are dead to this person and all of a sudden like things that i was like normally okay with or friends like okay I'm like yeah let's not talk for a bit or like yeah let's reevaluate these or like i don't want to be friends with this person anymore yeah now it's been just like so hard and it is and i like react in a way that i am not proud of and i well, part of the reason that I like started really introspecting was because of that. Mm-hmm. I messed up, not messed up, but like a lot of my friendships had not become very healthy. A lot of my community relationships had not become healthy, mm-hmm. and it was just like these things of like, no, I genuinely love the people in my life, and I want to like retain healthy relationships. But I can't do that if my grief is still impacting all these relationships, yeah. relationships that way. But in a positive way. So we talked we talk this entire time about how, like, I think for a long time, being an Elvis sibling, mm-hmm. also a protector, was one of the biggest, if not the most concretely definite identities that I had. Mm-hmm. It got to a point, I, I don't know what it was, but I think I was watching Reservation Dogs, which is a show. I guess, I heard I'm it's sorry, a show. I, yeah. It's a good show. I only know how to communicate through pop culture. but That's okay. I've heard good there's things this, about that show. I just haven't watched it. It's really good. But there are two scenes where, like, this old, like, they call him, they call him Swiss, so I, I feel like it's it. But this old Indian is talking to, like, a youth. And he's saying, like, oh, you don't know. Like, you don't know what it's like. And the Indian who is, like, a hallucination or, like, knowledge from the past is saying, like, no, you don't know what it's like. You've been holding off on grieving your friend. And you don't know because you haven't been for the process. And he was just like, you, because you haven't been through that process, you also don't know how much this spirit and this person loves you mm. and wants you to move on and wants you to imagine what your life is like without them Wow. in a good way. And so for me, it was like the first time I realized, oh, I've never known what my life is outside of being an eldest daughter. Mm-hmm. What does that life look like? How can I build it to be a life that I want? And how can I build it to be a life that I 
excited about yeah. and not feel guilty about it, right? Because yeah. I'm always going to carry, I'm, I'm always going to carry, like, Natalie with me. Yeah. And I'm always going to carry the family that I've lost and mm-hmm. Blake and, like, all these people with me. Yeah. But, again, like, that, that breakthrough with Blake was this, like, big thing. It's like, okay, I cannot help and I had no control over Natalie's stuff, mm-hmm. right? As much as I felt guilty and thought I did. Right. I had no control Same. over that. But what I do have control mm-hmm. is how I live my life from now on without her. Why are you and preaching directly can, yeah. to me and me only? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's 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 this thing where it can be and it can be hard and sad. Yeah. But it can also be exciting. It yeah. can also be like, how do I build this life that I look forward to building? Yeah. Even if my sister's not there. And again, going back to the separation dogs in a life in a way that like isn't based around her, but in a way that I know her spirit will be proud that I moved on from. Yeah. Because right? I don't I don't think I don't think Nally would be. Nally would be going stupid dumb fuck of like all the plastic and I think she was also like kind of cold in her own way so I think she'd be just like we need to heal we need we need to keep it going yeah like I think that's really a beautiful way like a beautiful beautiful perspective in like okay you know like the very cliche but also very true thing of like you never get rid of grief Mm -hmm. you just kind of uh like grow around it and it's always with you yeah. I think that's, I think in a certain way, grief can be attached to the good memories mm-hmm. and the good associations and the goodness of getting to, ex- having been able to experience that person in whatever capacity. So it's like, yes, I will always grieve my mom who died when I was 15. Yes, I will always grieve my dad who died when I was 33. Um, I'll always grieve, you know, my grandma. Like, you know, like I'll always grieve these people who were mountains in my life. Um, But attached to that grief, which is essentially remembering that this person does not exist anymore and you will probably never in this plane of existence see them again. Um or interact with them in the in like the way that we are typically interact with people with living people but like attached to that is also the good memories right like he said right. like the good memories that you have with Blake the good memories that I had as a child with my dad or as a child with my mom or um with my brother even I had a brother who passed when I when I was 15 and he was six and like just remembering these things and I think that those two can kind of coincide and and kind of attach and it's like that I think that's kind of like the bittersweetness right like the bitterness is the grief the sweetness is the other types of memories that we have right but yeah wow I mean actually going back to and and I will leave this this I I mean I I got all night but you're the one who has something to go so I want to respect you no but but like the, the power of grief like when I went to Disney with my sister last summer. Mm-hmm. I was really excited. It's like, oh, I never been to Disney before. Yeah, I never been to Disney. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah, <laughs> I went on the Tower of Terror. Oh no! And I remember vividly. Oh my God, no! I've been on this ride before. 
And I remember because my dad tricked me on it. I thought it was going to be <laughs> a cute little history lesson about this awesome hotel. Stop! That's how, of course, he got you job. with a history lesson. Right. <laughs> and then... And then I was just like, where's this memory from? And, like, I remember my sister also, like, took a picture of us in front of the Tower of Terror. I was like, I don't know what to say. Okay, whatever. Yeah. And then... That's so funny. I was, like, telling my dad about it. I was like, yeah, I feel like I was here. And he was just like, you were there. We went, I think, the the summer that my sister got out of the hospital after she was born, my grandpa visited. Uh-huh. And we went to Disney. Oh. And I had no memory of it yeah. I like I, I didn't believe my dad until like I went to the house and they showed me pictures and I talked to my grandpa too yeah because I was like grandpa this isn't right and he was like no we went to Disney we stayed at an Elvis Bean hotel <laughs> between Orlando and Tampa Bay yeah and then all these memories started flooding back wow. and I realized like part of that grief was like you know like you were saying like I was requesting all the joy that came with my sister and like my childhood mm-hmm. and I think because it was so close to when she was born I just like completely deleted yeah. like all the leap but it like like it, it's so funny that the like the like the Tower of Terror right just bringing back yeah and like I've been here and like the whole time I was just like this is my first time at Disney and I was just like wait a minute I've been to Disney before like <laughs> what yeah what? And, then I realized, and then my dad I, I felt so stupid because then my dad was just like where do you think the Mickey Mouse recap comes from? Because I've had a, a stuffed Mickey Mouse huh. since I was born. And I was like, oh, I thought, I thought, you know, Joanna was like, not, I thought Joanna just got that for me uh-huh. when Nellie was born. It's like, no, you dumb shit. You got that when you went to this movie. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. Wow, wow. Okay. Memories so are awesome. <laughs> Yeah. So it's been kind of fun, too, to, like, go back and be like, oh, yeah, I did, like, these were, like, this was such a fun time. Yeah. This was just, like, and reliving it without having to have the pain of, or without, like you said, like without the pain of remembering that now it's not here. Yeah. Now it's more like, that was so much fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Disney will do that. <laughs> and also, like, and then like, a part of me was also just like, and now I would be cracking it, but I did not hear like, <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. You're really something, kid. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, so we can wrap this for- up and then we'll yeah. we'll pick we'll find another time. Um, and also, yeah. it's so silly to me. I it occurs to me that we live in the same fucking city, so we probably yeah. don't have to do it via. Um, I was almost gonna say Skype, but um, FaceTime. <laughs> we maybe might do it in person if you're open to it. That yeah, for sure. But yeah, but I hope you have a great night. And Lou, I I genuinely I always just fucking love conversations with you. Um, <laughs> how dare you make me cry? Um, but it makes you feel better. I've been cr- I've been thinking about the questions you sent all week, and I like. I know you have. You're I, such a thoughtful person. And I just like there are times where I cried a lot myself too. So the reason I'm not bawling now is because you already did it. Yeah. Me. Well, I wasn't expecting yeah. that. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna sorry. make these potatoes and okay. <laughs> and watch some some gay shit or something. But I love you and I appreciate you, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Well, I love you too, friend. Thanks for this. Yeah.